Hey everyone, welcome to Cycles and Sanctity. In this episode, I've got a really great guest, Emily Adams, and we're going to be talking about how do we give praise to God when we have our crosses and especially in our womanhood. So come on in the podcast. I look forward to seeing you. Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Good morning. This is Mama Jane with Cycles and Sanctity. Welcome to this very special episode about motherhood. Happy Mother's Day. And I have a very, very special guest that I'm really excited to introduce you to and just have you hear her story and her gift to the world. But before I introduce her, I want to start with the Ignatius first principle and foundation. If you've been following me for a little bit, you'll know that I spoke about this in our one of our phases And I just really want to remind us so that we can get refocused on where we are going in this world. What is the purpose of our life and why do we do the things that we do? So St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation, I'm going to quote it. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God, our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. The other things on the face of the earth are created for man to help him in attaining the end for which he is created. Hence, man is to make use of them in as far as they help him in the attainment of his end, and he must rid himself of them in as far as they prove a hindrance to him. Therefore, we must make ourselves indifferent to all created things as far as we are allowed free choice and are not under any prohibition. Consequently, as far as we are concerned, we should not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short life. The same holds for all other things. Our one desire and choice should be that it is more conducive to the end for which we are created. And as you remember, I was speaking to you, basically, this is what the Catechism of the Baltimore Catechism says, is why are we created? We are created to know and love and serve God on this earth so that we can be happy with him in heaven. But remember, Ignatius talks about that we are created to praise and reverence and serve the Lord. So our praise is the first duty. And we're going to talk a little bit how difficult that is to give the Lord praises when he's given us crosses, and especially crosses in our womanhood. So this morning, I would like to introduce you to a fabulous young woman that I have met. It has been an absolute blessing to get to know her. Her name is Emily Adams, and she is a resident coach at Metanoia Catholic, which is the organization that I am training with my Catholic Mindset Coaching But she has a special gift to serve a specific woman. And just because of my own story, and we're going to talk a little bit about how our stories kind of coincide and how they differ. Emily, welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you. I know you have a little one, but you also have others 
I know yes. you have at least one other because I see her kind of be bopping. Yes, yes, I love it. Now, so, so tell us yeah. a little bit your family life and how you decided to, well, just tell us, let's start with family life. Your husband, how long you've been married, how many children? So I am married to wonderful man, Dave, for 10 years. Actually, we just recently celebrated our 10-year uh, wedding anniversary. I have a unique motherhood is what I like to tell people. I have 10 babies, 10 little ones. But six of those are in heaven, and that's a big part of my story. And then I have four little ones here Earthside with me. I have a eight, almost nine-year-old little boy, a six-year-old little girl, a four-year-old little girl, and then a five-month-old little baby you might hear in the background making some noises. We live in Nashville and yeah, live in the life of with kids and busyness and all the things. Beautiful. That's so wonderful. Congratulations on 10 years of anniversary. I, I will tell you that just a little side note, when I started to learn about natural family planning, one of the things that really attracted me to natural family planning was I had read a study that, and I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was like a hundred couples. They had taken a hundred couples that were contracepting, were on hormonal birth control or something. And then a hundred couples that were practicing natural family planning and they were a variety of Catholics and Mormons and Methodists and atheists and whatever, it didn't even matter. And they followed them for 10 years. And yeah. what was interesting for me was that the result was at the 10 year mark, 50% of the couples that were contracepting ended in divorce. And yet only less than 5% that were practicing natural family planning were ending in divorce. Now, my husband and I, I was like, hey, this is great. This is a great reason to practice natural family planning, right? And he's always reminding me like, this is not marriage insurance. Yeah. And his perspective is those who successfully use natural family planning probably already have a good marriage anyway, because their communication and their willingness. Mm -hmm. And my perspective is a little bit different. I say, yeah, but what I have discovered is natural family planning can help the marriage because it kind of forces you to have those kind of conversations of, are we open to life? Are we not open to life? What is our serious reason? What is our not serious reason? Blah, 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 blah. And it, you know, remember, we have to remember that the purpose of marriage, the sacrament of marriage is to be a witness to God's love and to help each other get to heaven. But you mentioned in your introduction that you have 10 babies altogether, six in heaven. And mm -hmm. I know just a very small amount of that story. And I really, I'm selfishly interviewing you because I want to hear all the things, not out of curiosity. I mean, out of curiosity, but not as a curiosity kills the cat, more as a another woman who wants to share your pain and to walk with that journey mm -hmm. and to acknowledge that others, you're not the only one with a story. What I have discovered in my own life is that when we tell our story, there are others that are like, oh, I'm not the only one. Because again, we have to remember that we do have an enemy and that is one of his tactics is to make us think that we are the only one and we're suffering by ourselves. And mm -hmm. when we're in community, then we understand, which is why, you know, disciples came back to Jerusalem after emails. They like had to come back into community and our Lord continually reminded his disciples, remain in my love, remain in my love, remain in my love. So- 
Let's Walk Together, Sister, and share with me your, did you know about NFP? What was that experience first? So when my husband and I got married, we were both, I think we were 27. (laughs) Yes, we were, we were 27, almost 28. Actually, it's funny. Our wedding anniversary is May 4th. My birthday is May 6th and my husband's is May 8th. So celebrating all week, (laughs) we call it the marathon week because it's, it, it ends up being very exhausting, like with all of the celebration, but I always have to pause and, and remember, like I wasn't 28 yet when I, when I got married. So yeah, so I was 27 prior to that, you know, I had known about NFP went to Catholic schools. They actually talked about NFP in our Catholic schools, knew that that was what I wanted to do when I got married. And, and it was funny. One of our first dates, you know, because I was older and and I was like, I don't have time to waste if this person is bored with this. (laughs) On one of our first dates, I actually told my husband, I was like, you know, just so you know, I am open to life. So that means however many children God wants to give me, you know, that's what's going to happen. So I need to make sure that you're okay with that because if not, then this is going to be a big waste of time. (laughs) And so, and, and it was funny, like there was a lot of things that I said to my husband when we were dating where I thought, oh my gosh, why am I saying this? Like, who says this (laughs) on a date? I realized now it was like, one, the Holy Spirit really convicting me and like showing me that I could trust my husband Mm. and allow him to expect people to actually be okay with that, to be okay with your viewpoint. And so, and so my husband was just like, yeah, I'm cool with that. that. I was like, great. (laughs) So we, so we kept dating. So yeah, as we, as we continued to date and, you know, I, I was tracking my cycles. I've always done that actually since I was younger. Awesome. And then we, when we got married, you know, I had a good understanding of my body and knew when I was ovulating, knew all those things, which was great. There wasn't like a huge learning. I mean, there's a little bit of a learning curve. Right. When your intentions is different. Right. <laughs> but it, it wasn't like scary to me. And we had decided like, let's give ourselves a few months to like settle into marriage and let's just talk about it each month, you know, and we'll reevaluate. And so I think we were like two months into our marriage and we both were like, I think we're ready. Like we're ready to, you know, be open to that. Not that we weren't open before we were open before, but like we are okay with being intentional about this now. And we got pregnant right away. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is great. (laughs) That was easy. Right. And about, I guess, five or six weeks later, which I would have been about eight weeks pregnant, Mm -hmm. I was at work and I started bleeding Mm. and had no idea what was going on. I had never known anybody that had had a miscarriage before. Mm. So I called my doctor, panicked. And they said to come right in. And so I went in and they did an ultrasound and you could see the little baby up there on the screen, but there Mm. was no heartbeat. Mm. And I remember the person doing the ultrasound. She was like, oh, that's the tiniest baby I've ever seen. She's like, you probably just have your dates wrong. And in that moment, I knew there was no way I could have my dates wrong. Mm. I literally had my phone with my calendar, all the things marked up. And I was like, 
there is no way that this date is wrong. Right. And she was like, well, let's not lose hope. You'll go see your doctor now. So we went. And again, my doctor was like, oh, you probably just have your dates wrong. And I was like, I don't have my dates wrong. Yeah. I know my body. I know myself. And so he was like, well, if, if what you're showing me, cause at that point I pulled it out and I was just like, here, here's the evidence. And he was like, well, then you're probably, you're experiencing a miscarriage. And so I was like, great. Okay. Now what do I do? I've never done this before. And I felt extremely dismissed because he said, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. These were quotes. This isn't that big of a deal. One in every four women that come into my office experience this or one in every four pregnancies, I should say, experience Mm -hmm. this. You will probably have no problems getting pregnant again. And, you know, you can, you can basically try right away once you finish the miscarriage. And I remember I had so many thoughts in my head, but the main one was, you might not think this is a big deal, but this is a really big deal to me. That is so powerful. I want to stop you there for a minute, Emily, because that is just so powerful. I remember being at a training and the same statistic, you know, oh, well, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And I just wanted to stand up and say, and how are we serving those women? Mm -hmm. One in four. Mm -hmm. I, I get very passionate about this because we, we don't, know how to really, I mean, the whole motherhood, have you, this is a sidetracked, but have you read the book, The Anti-Mary Exposed by Dr. Carrie Kress? The the biggest takeaway for me from that book was that the two words that are the most heinous words in society at this moment are virgin and mother. Mm -hmm. And because of it, Because of that book, it has just made me like hypersensitive about how we treat motherhood Mm -hmm. and how we don't serve the mother. So let me ask you a question, kind of going a little bit back. So you were about eight weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. Had you shared with your family that you were pregnant? I I had not shared it with my family yet because I was under the impression you weren't supposed to share. That's exactly. That is that you oh share my goodness. that you share this when you hit 13 weeks, 12 yep. weeks, weeks. Yep. What's very interesting actually, and it was very prophetic, I think, was right after we got married, I went and visited some friends. And I remember them driving, we were driving to the airport. This is at the end of the weekend or whatever. And one of them asked me, I think one of them said, like, how long do you think it'll take before Emily gets pregnant? And they were like, ah, and like making these predictions, right? And at the time, I, I I don't think that I was pregnant. If I was, it was like I ha- I didn't even have a clue yet. Right. And uh, and they said, will you tell us like if you get pregnant, like will you tell us right away? And I was like, well, I'm I feel like you're supposed to wait, aren't you? And I and I, I even said that. I'm like, aren't you supposed to wait before you like share that with people? And one of them, which is really weird, it's so weird because none of them had ever experienced a miscarriage, and one of them said well, what if you experience a miscarriage with us? And I was like, that is such a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Would you say that to me? Yeah. And I really feel like in a way it was God preparing me mm-hmm. to know what my answer was going to be ahead of time. Right. 
Right. So that I didn't have it, that I didn't even have to think about what I was going to do if that happened. Right. And immediately I said, well, of course I would share that with you. Like, why would I hold that back? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And so Mm -hmm. when I was going through this, when it was confirmed that I was having this miscarriage, that conversation came back to me Mm. and it was, you have to tell people about this. Yes, yes, yes. Let me, let me just stop you right there and just share a little bit about, about my story, about my wound of, of motherhood. So we got married and we wanted to get pregnant right away. We were able to, and, you know, praise God, my beautiful 35 year old daughter thought, oh, we know how to do this, right? Because it was easy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then we just, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't even one doctor told me that I probably wasn't really serious because I wasn't taking my temperature in the morning because I had a one-year-old who would wake up perpetually. And so as my journey of infertility, there was nothing that was happening. And that was my question to my doctors was share with me what is wrong with my body that I can't even conceive. So they wanted to do some tests, you know, with my fallopian tube and my uterus and blah, blah, blah. But I had to get a pregnancy test beforehand and all this stuff. Anyway, so I was up at the doctor, got the pregnancy test and uh, went to his office. He's like, oh, I got the pregnancy test. It is positive. So we're not going to do those tests. And I was like, wait, what? I'm pregnant? And he's like, yeah. And then he pulled out the little 3D diagram. Now, remember, you know, you could probably miscarriage. I go, no, 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 you don't understand. And I know I I must have sounded totally crazy to this guy, but I was like, you don't understand. That is not my prayer. My prayer was to get my body to work. I have two angels with me right now. And I just started crying. And he's like, is somebody need you to like, I'm like, no, my husband's, you know, this was up at Walter Reed. I I took the train, I took the subway. My husband was praying at home, watching, watching my daughter. But that was all my prayer was, I just want to know that it works, Lord, because it's not even working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, praise God that that son is 27 and doing well, but the dismissiveness of the medical community. And, you know, I, this is how, I mean, you know, we have to give mercy to them. I feel like it's sometimes it's just like when you're, I don't know, you're doing something that you do a lot of, you work at a cashier and you're working with money or somebody's credit card. I mean, this is a really bad example, but like somebody's credit card declines, you know, it's not a big deal to you because you see it all the time, even though it's a big deal to that person because of the shame and the embarrassment and whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. And that's where we have to get back to the dignity of the human person. And it's one of the reasons for me, Gianna Mola, I mean, I know you're very devoted to Gianna. It was one of the things I was very impressed when I started reading about her is that it was her patients that were the ones that insisted on her cause being open rather than her family. Like her husband, you know, says in in the book, like, I didn't even realize the saint that I was living with, but her patients knew because she always had that dignity of the human person and saw them in mind, body, soul. It wasn't just check, check, check. Yeah. And so, okay. So you had, you had the first miscarriage. Then we got, so my doctor basically said, because you had a natural miscarriage, you didn't have a DNC, everything, the healing part, like physical healing part after the miscarriage seemed to be fine. He basically gave us the green light to try again if we if we were emotionally ready for that. 
And I was like, okay, well, it'll probably take, you know, a little bit, <laughs> like, I don't know. And we conceived within that same cycle. Like I did not even have a period. Wow. I ovulated pretty much right away and mm-hmm. conceived. And so it was a little bit of a shock right. <laughs> that happened so quickly. But one thing that I decided from the from that moment that I knew was we are not going to keep this to ourselves. Right. Um, with the with the miscarriage, I shared with my my family. My mom had never had a miscarriage, but I you know gave her permission to share with her family, and we invited our family and friends to pray pray for us. Mm-hmm. And it opened the door actually for a lot of people in my family to finally say out loud that they too had gone through it where that had never been said before, including my own grandmother. Wow. And so, you know, through that, I realized like how much we, when we keep those things to ourselves and we stay in the silent corners, how devastating that can be to our, you know, to Mm -hmm. our mindset and, And so I said, you know what, no matter what happens, I want to celebrate this little one's life and Mm -hmm. I want to celebrate it with people from the very beginning. And if the Lord takes this baby as well, like we celebrated, you know, to the best of our abilities. And so that pregnancy resulted in my son who's eight, almost nine now. Oh, beautiful. And what's his name? His name is Jude. Oh, awesome. (laughs) And yeah. And so he, so my family growing up, we had a huge devotion to St. Jude and, and really like throughout the pregnancy, I could, I really felt the Lord like inviting me into, you know, this belief that like everything was going to be fine Yeah, because I was fighting off a lot of temptations of like, this is going to end, you right. know, not the way I want and, right. you know, I don't know if my body can handle this, all right. of those things. Right, right, right. So with each one, like he, he really, you know, invited me to that. And it was funny. We never found out if he was a boy or a girl during the pregnancy, but I had this just like instinction that it was a boy. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of three girls. And so my dad never had a son. Right. He had older sisters. He never mm-hmm. had any brothers. So so I have always wanted to name, you know, if I had a little boy, I wanted to name him after my dad, who his right. name is John Edward. And so I, I was like, if we have a little boy, his name's going to be John Edward. And my husband was hundred percent fine with that. And there was one day where I just felt in my heart, like the Lord speaking to me. And he was like, his name is Jude. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yeah, okay. The next one, <laughs> like this one has to be John if it's a boy. And he said, no, his name is Jude. And he started recalling, I started having these like memory recalls of all of the many times I prayed a St. Jude novena mm. at the end of the St. Jude novena. There's a part in it that says something along the lines of, I will bring honor back to your name because so many people confuse him with Judas. Right, right. And so I was like, ah, okay, you got me. <laughs> so you, so you have one in heaven named Jude and then you have one. On oh, earth I'm sorry. Jude. Sorry. My son here on earth, his name is Jude. Jude. The baby in heaven, we named him Gabriel. 
Oh, Gabriel. Okay. Okay. So I want to focus on this again. I want to just kind of stop for a moment and just share with our listeners because we don't know who's had miscarriages, who's, who's lost, have an infant loss, right? I was also very aware of that. And, and it's interesting for my story. So I always... I say we had seven years of of fasting and then seven years of feasting because of boom, boom, boom. And then we had our, well, would have been our fifth. And I had a miscarriage at 12 weeks. We had just gone to the OBGYN and heard the heartbeat and everything. And then the next a couple of days later, I started bleeding. Um, and I, so I actually, because I knew the the horrors of DNC, I chose to stay at home and and birth. I mean, I, I actually birthed the placenta and I don't know how, anyway, so we named her, we had already named her. As soon as we get pregnant, we have a name set out and her name was Catherine Irene. And so with my next one, I really thought I was done. I really, because I was 40, that was our fourth or fifth, you know, okay, we've got two girls and two boys. All right, Lord, I'm going to sell my, my baby clothes. And then the next couple of weeks later, guess what? We're pregnant. And uh, so this is a it's very so funny how he works that way. <laughs> right. And so it's just so funny. I was teaching confirmation and one of my confirmation students, his aunt had an ultrasound store or, you know, image imagery, whatever. And they had just gotten a 3d ultrasound and they needed pregnant women. And so he very awkwardly came up to me after class one day and was like, my aunt has this, she wanted to know, you know, so I was like all over. Yes, yes, yes. I'd love a 3d ultrasound. And so I brought all the kids. Now my youngest son was three, I guess he was about four. Cause he's about four and a half. And so the aunt was sitting there with the kids and the ultrasound, you know, the trainer was coming and everything. And we had had a joke that we had acknowledged years ago in our homeschool group that Catholic families have patterns. <laughs> it was a, just a crazy thing that we all went through this. We went through every single homeschool family and was like, oh, your patterns, three girls and now three boys and whatever. <laughs> and so back at this ultrasound, my kids are there. And so this aunt is like, so what do you think it's going to be? And my little four-year-old says, well, if we follow our pattern, it will be a boy. And this lady's looking at my kids, girl, boy, girl, boy. She goes, you mean it's a girl? And he says to her very straight in the face and says, no, my sister, baby Catherine is in heaven and it should be a boy. Mm. I was like, wow. And of course it is a boy. So it was, you know, it's kind of a joke, but I'm telling you my Joe my Joe talk, I mean, I, I, I talk to Catherine all the time and my Joe just, whenever I would say I have four children and he would say, mommy, don't forget baby Catherine. And we, we call her baby Catherine, even though she would have been, she should have been, you know, 20 now, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's so important. And when I was working with infertile couples, I would ask them. And actually the one couple that I had shared a few weeks ago, who is now pregnant again. And I just praise God for that. By the time she came to me, she had three, three miscarriages. And we actually talked about that. Have you named your children? You know, have you, have you had any kind of a ceremony? And I know in Texas, it has to be, which again, this is just a whole nother story, but you have to have lost the child at 20 weeks before 
they will acknowledge to give a birth certificate. I think that's what it is. And then also the funeral. Yeah. So did you have, did you do any of that kind of stuff? Cause I, I again, it, it's like this whole process, right. Of mourning. How do we grieve for something? And I had heard a trainer on this, which is why I'm so excited that you do what you do. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but she had talked about, you know, it's so different how people will react like, oh, you had a, a miscarriage at eight weeks and the doctor's like, oh, well, you know, one in four. But then if you have it at, you know, 12 or 14 or, you know, right before birth, you know, stillborn, it completely shifts, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, a child yeah. is a child is a child. Yeah. So with our first loss, we... I think it was the Friday after it happened, we had a priest coming to our house to bless our condo that we had, we had. And so we shared with him what had happened. And we asked if we could offer that mass for, for our home because I miscarried at home. I did not have a DNC. I, I have not had a DNC with any of mine. They've all been natural vaginal births. I mean, even at eight weeks, I didn't know it at the time because I had nothing to compare it to. But after I had my son and I experienced labor, right? I was like, that is exactly what I was going through was labor. Right. Yes. And, and I think this is common with maybe a first miscarriage because you don't know what to expect and it can be extremely traumatizing. And especially if you don't have a place to go and ask questions or a person to ask questions. So with my first one, I did not collect anything. And mm -hmm. I mean, I realize now that like, I, you know, ended up flushing my baby down the toilet. And that was very traumatizing <laughs> to think about that. And so I had a really hard time with that, but we did have our priest. So we had nothing to bury, but our priest that came to our house, we did have a mass said for, for our baby. And, and it's interesting, like even that experience he was very consoling and he was praying for us, but most priests have not been trained in how to minister, walk with, walk with and minister to families who have experienced this. Yes. As I like, so we had my son Jude and, and that pregnancy was completely normal. And then when he was 10 months old, <laughs> my grandmother was dying and we found out that we were pregnant. And I was very confused about my dates because of everything that was happening with right. her. Just mm -hmm. and, did you, and you were breastfeeding, right? I was not. We had a lot oh. of issues with breast uh, mm -hmm. with with breastfeeding. Right. I I pumped and fed my son, mm -hmm. but my cycle actually returned with all of my kids within eight weeks, right? After postpartum, mm -hmm. and and so so yeah, I was just like in a in a different state of mind. Realized like. I think I might be pregnant, went and took a test, called my doctor and was like, I think I'm pregnant. I could possibly like, I'm not really sure how far along I am, but it, there's a possibility that it could be, you know, I could already be like eight or nine weeks. Mm -hmm. And they were like, all right, well, let's just bring you in and we'll see. And so they did. And I was like seven or eight weeks again. Mm-hmm. Or that was what I was perceived. So the next weekend was Easter Sunday. And I began to miscarry on Easter Sunday and it was just completely devastating. I mean, I had my whole family around, oh, and it was just like, I can't believe this is happening again. Right. And I also went to a place of, but I know what to do and I know I'll be fine. 
And I kept telling myself that I know what to do and I know I'll be fine. And so I suppressed all of my feelings, Mm -hmm. anything that was like negative. I was just like, you know, it'll be fine. I'll be fine. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. same language. And so for probably six months, I just like kept pushing it down, kept pushing it down, kept pushing it down. And finally, I just exploded. And it was around September. And I remember yelling at my husband one day and he was just like, I think you're grieving. I don't think that you actually allowed yourself to grieve our baby. Cause I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. He was like, you are grieving. And he's very perceptive in that way. And I very, very much appreciate it. And so I was like, okay. So I started to actually deal with those things. And a friend of mine invited me to join her and some other friends in starting a rosary novena. Mm. And I was like, all right, you know, I definitely need this. Like I need this inner healing and what better way than to ask Mary to help me through this. And like two days before we were to start the rosary novena, I found out I was pregnant again. Wow. And so so, let me just ask. So before you continue the part of that story, when you found out that you were pregnant, what was, do you remember what your first thoughts and feelings were? Were you terrified that it would end in another miscarriage? No, I did. And that was one of my intentions with the novena was Mm -hmm. Mary, can you help me to like, not believe those things? Right. Can you help me to have a peaceful pregnancy? Can I, Mm. can can I please experience a, a peaceful pregnancy? I don't want this pregnancy to be tainted by all of this like negativity. Like I know that this is not helpful. Right. And with each Hail Mary, with each rosary, I felt an enormous sense of peace. Wow. And I just knew like I was going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. Mary, for the first time, I think I chose to believe that Mary was walking with me mm-hmm. in that. And there was a lot that was very powerful. And so I crossed the 14 week mark and I was like, this is great. And we got to, I had some issues with my OB at the time and decided to switch to a midwife. So this was, so just re, to recap. So yeah. you had a miscarriage, you had Jude, you'd uh-huh. had two other miscarriages this is the third this i had one other miscarriage one other miscarriage this was my fourth pregnancy fourth pregnancy okay all right i just want to i just want to keep up with it and yeah it's there's a lot of yeah and it's probably this is probably going to be a two-parter episode just because (laughs) there's so much and i really want to but it's such an important like you said you saw at the beginning when you with your first pregnancy that with your first miscarriage that it's a topic that hasn't been shared and women haven't been given the space to, mm-hmm. to grieve. Like you mentioned, you, you know, you, 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 you thought you were grieving, but you really hadn't. And mm-hmm. there's priests who don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. There's husbands that don't know what to do. There's other women who have never experienced that, that don't know what to do. And so really it's like, how do we minister to a woman that's in pain Mm -hmm. that no one knows 
where that pain is coming from because it's so internal and it's one of the reasons why I'm just so attracted to you because we we know this pain and yeah. there are others that like you said that I've never experienced it. I don't know what that feels like I don't know what that means but when yeah. you've had it they don't think that they can serve you because they haven't experienced it. So, right. Right. So, so real quickly, I, I just want to kind of jump forward because you mentioned something, I don't know, last week or something that was so profound in that, how the Lord has been using all of this pain of pregnancy. Am I able to keep the baby? Am I not able to keep the baby into serving? Because now you your specialty, like your, you know, just like, I, this is how I view life coaching as somebody had asked me recently last week, like, what is life coaching? And I'm like, life coaching to me is giving you the space by somebody that you may not know to really help you process the thoughts and the feelings that are going on in the situation. But just like the medical community, where you would go see an endocrinologist versus a cardiologist versus a, I don't know, OBGYN. There's specialties and Mm -hmm. your specialty is infant loss. So Mm -hmm. I I think we're going to do another, I, cause I do want to honor all of the babies and I want to hear all the, but I also want to honor the time of the podcast. So share with us a little bit, like, how did you start to minister to other women that had infant loss? How did that happen? Were you like the go-to mom? Yeah. So after, so with that pregnancy that I was just talking about, at 17 weeks, there was no heartbeat. And I was devastated, of course, but I also saw the invitation the Lord was inviting me to. Mm. And I remember holding my sweet little John David. And I just kept thinking if people could only see him and the Lord invited me to share him with the world. And he was like, I need you to help women be comfortable to share Mm. their stories. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I don't know what that means, (laughs) but (laughs) okay. And I had realized even up to that point, the more that I shared with people, it was an invitation for them to share their story. Right. So from that place, I started an Instagram handle where I share a lot about my losses I started a mass here in Nashville to honor women and their losses, especially if they had not ever was able to have a funeral, right? Right, Like it might be the first time that they were able to do something like that. And then it was after actually my sixth loss. So after John David, I had two, two more, I think that were early miscarriages. And then during COVID, we got pregnant at the very beginning of COVID. And then at 19 weeks, we went in for our ultrasound, you know, to Mm -hmm. anatomy ultrasound. And of course there was no heartbeat. And I, I caught myself going to that place of, okay, I've been here before. I know what to do, but it was a place of, I know that I need to invite the Lord into this Mm. instead Mm -hmm. of more self-reliance. Right. It was in the hospital holding him where I basically just cried out to God and said, something has to change. Like, I will come back to this place as many times as you call me to, but there has to be a better way at grieving. There has to be a better way at living our life 
from this place of grief. And he, I very distinctly heard him say, everything is changing from this moment forward. Wow. And within a couple of months, I met my coach, the person who coached me for the first time. And they invited me to look at my grief differently, Mm. not as something that I begrudgingly had to experience, but I had choice in the way that I was choosing to grieve. And from there, as I like began to heal and change my perspective on my losses, it changed my emotional responses to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And as that was happening, I realized this is this is really what women like me who have experienced baby loss, whether it was from an early miscarriage all the way up until infant death and beyond, that the way that we choose to perceive how this is happening, choose to perceive the people in our life and the way that they're responding to the circumstance, all of those things makes a difference depending on the light in which you're choosing to see it through. Right. And and so from that point forward, I knew I really felt like this was a way that I could help these women go from just being the person that they call to like walk in solidarity with, but to really offer true hope, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. with Jesus, allowing him to help us in this and, and be able to take all of our pain, all of our sorrow, every emotion that we feel and give that to him without any hesitation or reservation, without any judgment about ourselves for even having those things, it was truly freeing mm. because I could experience anger without judgment. Right. And you, you oh, that's so beautiful, Emily, because one of the things that I've come to really appreciate our training at Metanoia Catholic is, and I never really considered it until Matt used the terminology, white knuckling it. And I think a lot of times Catholics like, oh, you know, offer it up, offer it up, offer it up, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of when we're suffering and we're just white knuckling through the pain. I was, you know, I was in the military and we used to have a, we just used to have this mantra, like no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. And it's just ridiculous. Right. And that, yes, there's that beautiful theology of redemptive suffering, but I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I have experience and I, and I love the way you said you can just bring everything to Jesus and no judgment. Right. And sometimes I just tell Jesus, Jesus, this suffering sucks. I mean, right now it just sucks. And Mm -hmm. I know, I know that this is something for my good, but at this moment, and I just give it to him, you know? And, and that has been really freeing as well of, of letting go of the white knuckling and really giving, I, again, it's just, I, I so appreciate the metanoia Catholic training that we get because it reminds it like it, Jesus is true man and true God. So he felt every single human emotion. He knows every single thing that we think. So why would we hide that? You know, why are we trying to be over pious or something, you know, when we're suffering, let's just speak the truth. Yeah. And yet we also need those coaches. Like you said, is that your first coach created that space for you to allow you to just be who you are in this moment with no judgment. Mm -hmm. And I just so appreciate your gift to women 
will you share a little bit about your Catholic coaching transition and, and how you're serving women in that? And how do they find you? That's the other thing. I yeah. Want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started out kind of in this, in more of a secular coaching and I quickly realized that I could not do this without my Catholic faith. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out how to do it on my own. And that was what was really beautiful about Metanoi Catholic and the the process in which you coach, it immediately brings Jesus in from the very, from the very get-go. And that was very freeing to say, this is not about me even trying to help you. Like Jesus is going to help you. And I'm simply going to be your friend that takes your hand and walks with you towards him, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So some of the things that I really love working with women who have had experienced a lot of emotions There's a lot of emotions around loss. And so I work with them in their emotional processing, inviting the Lord into those emotions with them. And actually, I'm going to be having a virtual Catholic retreat for specifically for lost moms, where I will do this with them, you know, and and, and help guide them to Jesus, be able to take all those emotions without any kind of judgment and just be able to t- teach them how to lay it at his feet and, wow. not, and not pick it back up again. Right. <laughs> that was the biggest thing that I had that I struggled with was, okay, I'm willing to give this to you for like for the hour in adoration. And now I'm going to pick it back up and take it back out of here and struggle with it. Cause I had a lot of thoughts around what suffering, what having a cross looked like. Right. And, and so I, I really help women look at that more objectively, look at mm. their loss more objectively and see what else could be true here besides what I've just been seeing all of wow. this time. Wow. Will you make sure you send that to me so that I can put it in the show notes? Absolutely. Because I think that is just so powerful. I mean, I, I would probably even like to, you know, like I said, even though my miscarriage was 20 years ago, And I have done a little bit of processing and I was exactly the same way with you. I, my husband, so I had three little ones and a a teenager kept the teenager at home and he wanted the three little ones out of the house while I miscarried. So he took them and my, you know, 14 year old or whatever, however old she was. So yeah, I, it wasn't a baby. It literally was a a, a clump, like, and I didn't know what to do. And I, I threw it in the toilet toilet. And I, I later went to confession with my priest and uh, yeah. And again, there's just so many layers of guilt, Mm -hmm. of, of anger, of Mm -hmm. why me uh, and fear for the next pregnancy is, is it going to happen again? What's wrong with me? Um, You know, all of those things. And then, you know, as a natural family planning coach, I, then I also see it transition into the relationship of husband and wife, because there's all those, that mental drama and emotional, those unprocessed emotions that that can get into the way of the relationship and they can't truly come together and, and sacrifice. And, and then the whole husband, which is a whole nother conversation, which I will probably have one of the guys come on and talk about that, but that is one of my trainings. That was one of the things that they said was the men, many times they grieve and they don't know how to grieve because they, you know, well, it's the woman, she, it was her body. It was, you know, all that stuff. It's a family. And even the children, like I said, with my son, 
baby Catherine, you know, I mean, I send baby Catherine to watch him. He's in New Jersey now. And I'm like, please, Catherine, watch your big brother. Yeah. So, there's so many, there's so many layers. And, and I have found even if it's been, you know, obviously if you're experiencing a miscarriage or a loss and it's been recent, like that is going to feel a lot different than if you're a year away or two years or five years or 10 years or 20 years. Right. Right. I mean, my grandmother, who had nine living children, had five miscarriages that my mom said she only really knew about one. Wow. And so she kept the rest of those things to herself. And right. it was her deathbed, actually, that all of those things came out. Wow. <laughs> so loss is something that you carry with you for your entire life. Right. And, and there's a reason why that is right. Like it's actually a good, I tell women that I work with all the time. It's a good thing that this hurts. Right. I know that it's uncomfortable, but it's a really good thing that it hurts. It means that it was real, Mm -hmm. that that child was real and Mm -hmm. that you loved them. Mm -hmm. And that's a good, amazing thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this retreat is for anyone who has ever lost a child or a baby. And, you know, there's always those emotions that need to be processed over and over and over again. So right, right. And the thing I love about the Catholic mindset coaching is that we teach women and men, but we're primarily working with women of how to do this in a way that that draws us ever closer to Christ mm-hmm. and how to use the faculties of our soul, our imagination, our memory, our reasoning, which God gives us so that we can actually take those and then also strengthen our free will, right? That we get to choose. How do I choose? How am I choosing to show up this moment? How am I choosing? Like you said, like I would take it to adoration. I would put it at the foot of the cross. And then as soon as I walk out of adoration, I'm going to grab it again and I'm going to struggle with it, Lord. And sometimes we just, you know, I always, I always tell people, you don't know what you don't know. Your grandmother did the best she could with what she had. It was an unspoken thing, right? But we're in a new age and not new age, like, <laughs> but we are, new age. <laughs> we are, we are setting a new tone for women yeah. to serve each other, to bring the gift of beauty and uniqueness to their own bodies, to honor their bodies. I mean, St. John Paul II with his theology of the body, I really feel like that whole you know, when he just wrote that powerful, powerful masterpiece, just broke open this whole thing about like, yes, we can talk about our bodies, you know, the invisible makes visible, right? The word becomes flesh. And it's just so important for us to do this. So do you have anything else you want to share in the last couple of minutes that we're here? I know we've talk so much. And and I really would like you to come on again. Yes, um, uh, maybe, maybe at the end of the month, I would yeah. love to have you part two, and we can talk a little yeah. bit more about infant loss and how to, what I would like to do the second podcast is to talk about how we as women can help other women, whether we yeah. have experienced infant loss or not, whether yeah. we're married or not. Cause I, I think a lot of times that's a whole nother topic. Like, mm-hmm. well, I'm a single woman and my friend got married and had a miscarriage and I don't know how to help her. Yeah. So that would, that's going to be part two, we, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, how do we, tend, how do we tend? Yeah. The image that I have in that actually, like, how can we give you the women that surrounded Mary when mm-hmm. she lost 
friends. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's yeah, a good part too. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> That's awesome. So any, any other closing thoughts you want to share with the audience of our podcast of any words of wisdom? Where, where yeah. can they find you? First of all, you said you have an Instagram yeah. handle. I have an Instagram handle at the little souls on Instagram. You can find me on the Metanoia Catholic website under their one-on-one coaching. If you um, are looking for someone to walk with you very intentionally, you can find me there under their resident coaching page. And even if you just want to chat, make a connection with me, you can even set up a call that way. I think the last thing that, yeah, that came to me, actually, it was very odd. (laughs) I was taking a shower yesterday and, and I was reflecting on like carrying this cross, right. Of loss and sorrow and, and all the things. And I've always had this like very vivid image of me under the cross and I'm frogging along, you know, just maybe as Jesus would have been and did. And so often we like, I think, think of our sufferings in that way where we're the one carrying the cross. Right. And the Lord, even in the shower, invited me to look at it from a different perspective. And he offered to me, he basically said, what if you're not the one that's carrying the cross? You're not supposed to carry this cross. Mm. What if I'm carrying the cross and you're the one that's just walking with me? Wow. Like, who was it? Simon? Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so often I thought, I, I thought of it as the reverse of like, oh, I'm the one carrying the cross and I let other people kind of help me. Right. Right. Or maybe I let Jesus walk with me in this. Right. But what if really the invitation of having this cross is to let him carry it and he is inviting you to walk with him more mm. intimately towards wow. Calvary, right? That is so And so I, I think what it showed me was the power of perspective and right. how that imagery that we just are like, yep, this is a hundred percent true of how this is supposed to be. And this is supposed to be hard. This is supposed to be all these things. I'm one that loves curiosity. <laughs> so one thing that really helped me was what if this is different? What if I'm not seeing the whole picture mm-hmm. what happen? If I take a step back and, mm-hmm. and see like more objectively here, what's right. going on. And It's really beautiful. I think every time that that's happened, the things that the Lord ends up enlightening our heart, right? Right. And it allows this like peacefulness to flood over me. Carrying the cross no longer became a burden, but rather an invitation. Wow. And that's really what Metanoia Catholic is all about is when I discovered Metanoia Catholic and got the journal. So ladies and gentlemen, you can go to metanoiacatholic.com. We'll have that in the show notes and you can get their journal and both Emily and I teach how to process with that journal. But for me, the secret was this number seven exercise was the metanoia aspect because we are all called to repent and convert every single day. We're called to convert. And that question of Lord, how do you interpret this situation? That's Mm -hmm. really where the, the prayer comes in. And like you said, the Lord speaks to us all the time in, in our shower, right? If we're open to the Holy Spirit, right? You know, I was listening 
I don't know, a while ago about Peter. We're studying Acts, right, in the Easter season of how he was up on the roof and then the Lord gave him that vision of eat all this stuff. It, and he's like, no, Lord, it's it's unclean. It's unclean. He's like, no, I'm giving you a new perspective, right? A new perspective, which right. is what you just said. And that is, to me, that is the key to Catholic mindset coaching is that, like you said, we are just instruments and we get out of the way and let our Lord Holy Spirit come in and serve the people that we're we're serving. Mm-hmm. It's not about us. It's it's yes, we have to be trained well so that we can create that space in a in a good and holy way. And when we do that through the Metanoia Catholic, the Lord is going to show up in ways and heal and that's that's really what he wants is yeah. that's why he came, right? To set us free. Yeah. And so thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming. And, and we're going to, we're going to figure out the next one and everything. <laughs> but as I close, I love to close with St. Paul's blessing to the Thessalonians. So we're going to pray this real quick in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And Emily, I, I really want you to open your heart. I, I really want to pray this blessing over you specifically, but also all of your clients that, that you serve that this is what St. Paul says, may the God of peace, make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire spirit, soul, and body irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Again, if you are a woman who has any has had any experience or you know of a woman who has any experience, it could be a grandmother, a mother, a young person that has any infant loss, please, please get in touch with Emily Adams. Her information will be in the show notes. We really appreciate it. I know this was a little bit of a more intense, but I know how much women are hurting and Jesus has come to set us free and we are here to claim that. So you have a great day. God bless you all. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast interview with Emily Adams. Again, I want to invite you to go to Metanoia Catholic and look for Emily Adams. The link is in the show notes for her Lost Moms retreat this weekend. And I just want to invite you to think about what she said. Let's get curious. What if I'm not seeing the whole picture of our crosses? You have a great day. I look forward to talking to you next week.